Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. The Spartans and Wolverines are arguing over nothing. Whose little brother? (laughs) Eventually the Buckeyes show up and it's like dad's home. Everyone shut up. (laughs) Pete Thamel. Hey, let's not let the Rose Bowl continue to screw this up like it has the last 50 years. And SI's Pat Forty. I just found a story from 2007 in which Jim Trestle said, the punt is the most important play in football. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Pat. Pete and Dan. All right, quick roll call here. Uh, is everyone sober this time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, there you go. <laughs> Wait, I only heard one answer. Well, I was oh, accused sober. of being drunk on the pod. I was not. I was nursing a Bud Light. Nursing? I don't know. You, okay, deeper into the you nurse. You might nurse differently than other people. <laughs> nurse. <laughs> if someone accused you, Dan, that would mean there was some ambiguity surrounding it. There was no ambiguity surrounding it. Deny else. the accusation. <laughs> Insulted by the implication. Uh, all right, Pat. We're glad you're doing all right. Um, it was an I'm exciting better. derby day. Soup and sandwich almost won. Soup and Sandwich ah. had the lead, or they're in second place. Almost won, please. Ended up last. <laughs> DFL. Is, uh, is Soup and Sandwich a boy or a girl? It's a boy. Boy, okay. <laughs> they were all boys. Know. 19 Colts in this race. <laughs> okay. Uh, soup and Sandwich. Were you nervous? I said to someone, if Soup and Sandwich had won the Derby, I would want press box video of how apoplectic Pat Forty was. Because Soup and Sandwich was like in second. You know, again, early speed doesn't matter. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, if Soup and Sandwich wins the Kentucky Derby, assuring Pat Forty loses hundreds and hundreds of dollars in bets, it would have been like the single greatest moment in Churchill Downs press box history. <laughs> Never I was, concerned. I was rooting so hard for Soup and Sandwich. <laughs> More than when I order a soup and sandwich, I wanted this soup and sandwich. <laughs> what kind of soup and what kind of sandwich do you think it is? That's really because there's a lot of ambiguity there. There is. There is. I, you know, I picture him, especially after watching him fade to last. He's just your garden variety grilled cheese and tomato soup. Yeah. Kind of heavy. It. Yeah. Starts <laughs> off good, but then you regret, <laughs> you regret it yeah. later because you're that still, creamy tomato soup. Yeah. First yep, couple yep. bites are great, but then yeah, by the second furlong, it's like, yeah, I shouldn't have eaten this. <laughs> and then by the end, it's just like, this is going to weigh me down afternoon. All right. Well, sorry. Soup and sandwich. We'll see what chips and salsa does next year. They can get in. 
did you uh is Derby Day successful for you, Pat, monetarily, or should we not mention that in case uh, anyone from the IRS is listening? Oh boy. No, if they're listening, I, I I have all the tickets I need to file for them for losses to offset any future winnings because no, it was I somehow managed to have money on all four of the top four horses that came in and still didn't cash a ticket because I outclevered myself left, right, and center. It was uh, it was a painful, painful thing where, I mean, I watched them all come in and I'm sitting there saying, surely I have this. And I start pulling out tickets. Oh, wait, no. Oh, oh no. Oh my, oh, my gosh, I got nothing. I couldn't believe I somehow cashed nothing. And then to make matters far worse, I did a video for Twinspires.com saying, you know, tr- take a shot at the Superfecta. I'm going to take a shot at the Superfecta. Just try it, you know, twenty uh, or $24 for a $1 box. Uh, my oldest son, Mitchell's friend, who doesn't know how to bet at all, said, that sounds fun, and boxed the top four and won $10,000 oh, because he watched the video. Oh. Yeah. On what bet? $20? Bucks? Uh, it was $24. $24 bet. Boxed four horses for a buck. He didn't know what he was doing. He just picked them. I don't know how he picked them. It never bet a super before. I said, Mitch, tell that kid to retire. Tell him to never bet the Derby super again. Never to bet the Derby again, because it's never going to be as good as that. Well, I've been to the Derby uh, eight, ten times. Uh, you know, spent a lot of time gambling with Pat. I can fully believe Pat bet a ton of money and did not win anything from uh, mm-hmm. from a decade mm-hmm. of experience uh, you know. next to him. Two great Derby traits Pat just exhibited. One is one of the great horse racing betting phrases all around it. Oh, I was all around yeah. it. Like, like that's like, like that's yes. the golf shot that keeps you coming back for more. You know, yeah. like yes. when, you, right. when you hit your drive here on 16 after a, like a horrible day, you're like, Oh God, that's, that's why you do it all around. It is like that, the, the tease that keeps you going. Um, mm-hmm. the other classic derby betting trait Pat exhibited was he bet so many different ways so much that he did not actually know if he won or not. Like that's like, yeah. like when you're ripping through your tickets, be like, nope, yeah. nope, nope. That that is a horrible feeling when you're all around <laughs> it, have gambled all these different ways, and still can't even find a measly winner. When I go to the track, I like having one horse in a race for that purpose, like yeah. because if Keep you it have simple. Two, all of a sudden it's like a mutual fund. You don't know what the hell's going on in the thing. <laughs> I want to be screaming for soup and sandwich, right? I want I want to scream and try to win. I don't want to be that confusing because then you don't really enjoy the race. You don't know who you're rooting for. You got too many. It's like being in too many NCAA tournament pools or too many <laughs> fantasy teams. Like you don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah, true. So keep it streamlined because, yes, I'm a that simple is a person. It, it does get stressful when you're spending your whole time now. Who got third? Who got up for third? Who, you know, to see whether you hit the try. It's just, yeah. Yeah, there's no worse moment when the horse race ends and then you don't know who came in third and fourth when you have like a super bet and you're like furiously looking on Twitter and it takes like 12 of the longest minutes of your life for them to flash it up. And it's just like, and like they're doing the, like the jockey interview and you're like, just cut it out. Tell us who came in third. I'm supposed to be doing my job and interviewing people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Who was fourth? I got to know. NFL draft wrapped up this weekend uh, in Cleveland. The weather got a little better when I left. Take, take <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, SEC set a record with 65 draft picks. 65. The old record was 64 set by the SEC. 65. An impressive haul. I, I don't know how many Alabama had in this class. I wrote about the Alabama 2017 recruiting class, which is now spawned eight first rounders just unbelievable eight. Unbelievable. they have 11 draft picks overall 
uh, including their long snapper. They have five <laughs> uh, expected starters on the 2021 Alabama Crimson Tide. Someone's like, what, what are they? Will they get drafted? I'm like, I, I'm ruling anybody starting at Alabama out getting drafted. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not, I have no mock for 2022, but eight first rounders. Um, absolute domination by Alabama. We talked about it the other night. So I went back and listened to the Nick Saban press conference from signing day 2017. Uh, this is how he described the class. We feel like we got a couple good, really good safeties, got four really good linebackers. We got three really good down guys on defense, you know, some offensive linemen, four that are good, some really good skilled wide receivers, couple tight ends, couple good running backs, couple good quarterbacks, couple good specialists. Eight <laughs> first rounders, couple good quarterbacks is Tua Tungavailoa and Mac Jones. Yeah. <laughs> And One a top later, five pick, the other top 15. He later said about them, he described it as, because Jalen Hurts was going to be the starter. He didn't mention either by name. He said, I think it's very important to develop depth at this position. <laughs> depth. <laughs> depth. Yeah. That's what yeah. we're calling it. <laughs> All Ruggs, three of those guys in the NFL. Smith and Judy were very explosive guys. That's it. Um, unbelievable. So. Uh, 65. I think one interesting thing that's held up, I'll give this to a podcast listener. Uh, I think his name is, I think I'm going to pronounce it right. Michael Crusey, who last year I wrote a story about how it took like 50 something picks before anyone from Texas and Texas A&M got picked. And it was, again, I think it was the 51st pick this time, at least six players from Texas high schools taken ahead of them. And some of those are, are Bama. Again, everyone else is coming in and raiding the state of Texas. That's why big 12 was down early, although they kind of caught up a little bit late. Any other thoughts from, uh, from this draft uh, as it played out the last two rounds, anyone you were stunned went late, you know, jumped up and went at a spot or, or, or fell through or anything stands out, Pat? I, well, I think one thing that, you know, that stood out to me was just that North Carolina had a lot of, a lot of offensive talent uh, and didn't do anything with it in the latter years under Larry Fedora. And then Mac Brown came in and started to unlock those guys. And then you see them start to get picked. Uh, maybe not, you know, top end talent, but Javante Williams going second round to Denver uh, Deami Brown getting picked, uh, Michael Carter, Daz Newsom, all offensive guys getting drafted, and then Chaz Surratt, who started his career as a quarterback and then made the then made the rare switch to linebacker and was the first guy picked. You know, I think that it's clear that Mac Brown has had some talent to work with there, did pretty well with it, and now we'll see. They've had some recruiting successes. They've got Sam Howell. Coming back at quarterback, maybe the best quarterback in college football to start next year. If they can take a next step up, win the division, and uh, compete with Clemson in the ACC. Well, I think I don't know. One of my takeaways as we got later in the draft was if you opted out and then declared, and you weren't like a stand on the table first round pick, that the NFL did not take kindly to uh, to, to that. And I, I feel like there are a lot of guys that. You know, missed an opportunity to play a season of college football, missed an opportunity to improve their draft stock pretty, uh, pretty significantly. Uh, Sage Surratt comes to mind, the Wake Forest wide receiver who was was just a victim of being called a first round pick in like a way too early mock draft. I think it was a Todd McShay deal. He gets talked into not playing this season, then declares, and then all of a sudden he's. Uh, you know, he's, he just does not get drafted. So 
there was always going to be like an information gap because so much of this was happening for the for the first time. But when you really uh, when you really look at it, Ambry Thomas opted out. He ends up late in the third round. Uh, the the Michigan corner. There, there's just a handful of guys that, like, quite frankly, could have gone back and just gotten had a better experience and gotten a lot better at football, and and really uh, really didn't do themselves any uh, didn't do themselves any favors by uh, by 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 taking the year off. Yeah, also interesting. You know, this was a year where everybody could have come back as a even seniors because you were getting you were given that extra year because of covid correct you get an extra year of eligibility and then a lot of a lot of the underclassmen went normally usually about 30 come out and don't even get drafted now i don't know that it matters if you're drafting the sixth seventh round or you're an unrestricted free agent a lot of ways you can pick maybe a better spot it's going to be on you making a team but it is interesting that particularly in a year when everyone had an opportunity to come back you still had so many guys just sort of jump into the NFL with very little guarantee that this was going to work. I don't know how you get around that. I don't know if you should. I'm a believer in letting people make their mistakes, but it's got to be a frustrating time when you've, you either chose not to come back for that last year or, or, or bailed early uh, thinking something really good was going to happen on draft day. And it didn't, you know, uh, Pete, to your, to your point, you did see people, too, that used that year really to help themselves. I mean, I don't know whether Zayvon Collins, people were talking about him that much before 2020, and he blows up. Uh, Zach Wilson, heck, you know, I mean, I, I think we were all kind of intrigued by him, but but it wasn't until you saw him playing more and putting up the numbers that he did, I think, that turned him into somebody like, hey, maybe a first-round pick into the second pick in the draft. So, you know, I, I mean – I, I don't want to tell anybody they made a bad decision by not playing in a pandemic. You know, that's that's a very personal decision, but there's no doubt that it hurt, helped some and hurt some um, whether or not you played or didn't play. Yeah, and I guess I'm second guessing the not playing and then declaring as opposed to not playing and coming back. Yeah, to, right, right. To, in, to, to uh, potentially improve your stock. And and here's the thing. If you didn't get drafted in the, in the sixth or seventh round this year, you ain't ever getting drafted because there's only about a third of the players – just in the pool. I mean, I talking to scouts and front office people last couple of days, like they were just like these seventh round picks are worthless basically because there's just was so few humans. I mean, look, Dan, even your guy from UMass got picked in the seventh round. Learn I know. Pullman. I know. So <laughs> one more reason to donate sleeper. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I just really think that, uh, yeah, I really think that it, it, it'd be interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to go for Cause now next year you would assume is a loaded NFL draft, right? Because you have all, all these guys coming back. I was doing some casual super senior Googling today. You've got teams of 17, 16 super seniors uh, coming back. Illinois has the most of the power five from uh, from some from some light Googling. Arizona State has a bunch. I mean, Utah State has more than more than anyone else. So you're really going to there's going to be a lot of men who are going to sign with agents and try to get in the draft process. So it's going to be more competitive to get in the senior bowl, more competitive to get in the combine, more competitive for all these ancillary all-star games. It's going to be really setting up to be a really fascinating draft process for next season because I would imagine there's going to be closer to 3,000 guys, right? right? Because so, so many guys are going to be leaving college at the same time. All right. who do, Let's each give one late round kind of, I don't know, third round and back, I guess, uh, sleeper that you think – Pete has his all sleeper team out on Yahoo Sports or all underrated team. I think it's called all underrated. I'm sorry. Give us one guy 
And then, Pat, you can pick one guy you think is a late-round pick that kind of popped, and you go, you know, that's a really good football player. Um, and I think he'll I think he'll be really intriguing, even though he's in in those middle rounds. You want to start, Pete? Yeah. So I uh, I I'm going to first of all point out that I was very happy the all underrated team had a punter. Uh, when somebody brought up a punter to me on text message, I got very excited. <laughs> James Smith, the Cincinnati punter, undefeated in the regular season, uh, quote, he's one of the best punters I've seen. He can put the ball anywhere. He's virtually no touchbacks and you can count on pinning them back as an athlete. He feels pressure and can adjust tempo as needed without impacting results. Also, a big leg. And it's a uh, it's an old Ohio State special, uh, Coach Fickle to Coach Vrabel, because he went to the University of Cincinnati, ends up with the uh, ends up with the Titans. As for perhaps a more applicable late round pick, I'll give you one. This was of of all the guys I texted and all the guys I queried, the undrafted guy who got the most buzz. For like this guy is a no-brainer, is going to play in the NFL for a lot of years, was Drake Jackson, the center from Kentucky. Um, not to be confused with the Drake Jackson will be in next year's draft, who's, I believe, a D lineman for USC. Man, did people love Drake Jackson, the center from Kentucky. Just raving over and over beyond. Uh, one O-line coach said he studied him on film, and he was so impressive making adjustments at the line of scrimmage that they tailored their game plan around two things he adjusted at the line of scrimmage. So... That is about as deep in the weeds as you can possibly go in the NFL draft. We're giving you the punter. We're giving you the center. Pat, save us. <laughs> I, I can't I can't top that. I have no undrafted center I can throw out there for you. But uh, the guy that uh, I, I watched play a fair amount, who I thought was a really good player playing uh, with quarterbacks who were only okay, uh, that I think he's going to look better in a pro offense with really good quarterbacks throwing to him is Des Fitzpatrick, receiver from Louisville. He's 6'2", he's tall, he can make contested catches, he can make tough catches. His stats, you know, didn't blow you away during the year. He was a fourth-round pick of the Titans, I should should point out. And the Titans, need, they need playmakers who aren't named Derrick Henry. Fitzpatrick averaged 19.4 yards a catch this year, 18 last year. I mean, he makes plays downfield. Uh, he, and again, we'll, we'll catch the contested ball, can defeat a, a defensive back to get it. So I think that's a really nice pickup for uh, a Titans team that is kind of unspectacular throwing the ball and making plays through the air. All right, I'm going to go with this, and I, I don't know how good he's going to be or not, but it's going to be it's an interesting pick. It was Davis Mills, the Stanford quarterback in the third round, uh, former five-star recruit to Stanford. He was the number one player at the position. He was a huge recruit for Stanford. Knee injuries really wiped out his college career. He's only played, I think, 13 or 14 games, um, has never quite shown all that he can be, but shows those flashes. The interesting part is he's going to Houston. And Deshaun Watson uh, is going to uh, the likelihood of Deshaun Watson being suspended, at least for part, if not all of the season uh, increases by the day as this goes on. Uh, I don't know. If he'll ever play in Houston again, even if he's not uh, suspended for God. Houston is all of a sudden a wide open job. Uh, they have Tyrod Taylor and they draft Davis Mills. I'm not be surprised if David M Davis Mills gets uh, an opportunity to show what he has. And it, I think it, I think he's an intriguing prospect uh, at that spot. I certainly don't think he's going to be – I wouldn't have taken him in the first round, but just the fact that he went to Houston, that a guy with that much natural ability uh, and potential is there. So I'm going to be interested to watch uh, uh, that one. That's a little more uh, name brand, bold face than Pete's 
uh, <laughs> snore fest. <laughs> He's punter in his center. Come on. Hey, you have to know your role, right? Do your job. Okay. <laughs> Remember, there was a Dan's going to pick the five star who everybody's yep, heard yep. of. I'm a, I'm a shiny <laughs> object. Pat's going to pick the guy from Louisville, and yep. I'm going to be. That's all right. Yes, outlandishly obscure. I remember there was a BCS championship game. I can't remember which one that Ohio State was at, and it was media day. Tressel sent his punter to you know they they at the media day. It's not like Super Bowl media day, but it was a small media day. Four four star players would get a podium, and you could surround you know so that you could get a lot of questions in. And he put his punter up there. Uh, all the great players in this Ohio State team, he had him try to stash all those guys. And one of his four spots was a punter. And then I was trying to. <laughs> I wrote a column about it. I tried to get the punter to say something. I mean, if there's one position you can trash talk, it's punter. Like, I, yeah, I'm absolutely going to try to pin him deep. And he wouldn't do it. Might you try to pin him at the one? I'm just going to go out there and execute. And, you know, like, could we Take be it more boring? at a time. Yeah, right. It's three offensive linemen and out. a punter. And we're like, this is boring. This media day sucks. We need there's some- nothing more on brand for Tressel than A, bringing the punter, and then B, the punter being boring and saying It was nothing. phenomenal. He wouldn't go. I'm like, there's no... Ch- you're not really trashing anybody if you say you're going to punt well. That's it's just you punting. You're not like yes. you're not ridiculing the other punter. And he's like, nah, wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. So God bless Trestle Ball, man. God bless uh, Trestle Ball. Man loved his punts. I, I'm trying to think what year it was where I covered a, a, an Ohio State Iowa game in Columbus where the winner won the Big Ten, uh, and it was. Kurt Ferentz and Jim Tressel and kind of an iffy weather day. And it was just who could punt most and who could punt last and who could pin the other guy deepest. And the game was just, I mean, it was just stultifying to watch. And the best thing after it was over, we did the press conferences and <laughs> Tressel, I uh, saw him leaving the stadium with his, his wife was driving a Prius. He was sitting in the shotgun seat, eating a sandwich. I like that. <laughs> There, Jim Tressel, we're getting ready to go celebrate a Big Ten title, baby. Living large. <laughs> Hold the mayo. <laughs> Ohio State just lives off this like endless, like, like it's like a factory in like Kettering, Ohio or something that produces these big legged, <laughs> yeah. no talk punters. They just churn them out every four years. Yeah. I, I hope Ohio State fans like hit hit their knees to the ground every night and thank God how that program's image have changed. They just had a receiver today, Jameson Williams, transfer to Alabama because he was not going to get enough snaps at Ohio State. Now, Ohio State has a ridiculous receiver room right now. Brian Hartline is recruiting better individually at a position than anyone in the country. Uh, Ryan Day has these electric offensive schemes. You've had these like back-to-back-to-back dynamic quarterbacks. You're, you're in title contention every year. But like watching Ohio State, like you get excited to watch Ohio State football when you think about it. Yeah, they're fun. Got, they're fun. Yes. Like they're like, they're like, and they were not fun at all under Trestle. <laughs> I mean, they were just not fun at all. Yeah, you have Garrett Wilson. You have Chris Olave. You've got Jackson Smith and Jigba. You've got like guys are going to play on Sundays for a decade, like waiting their turn. And... Before, I mean, you have really good players, but they just didn't quite there, – there was no sizzle there at all. I just found a story from 2007 in which Jim Trestle said, the punt is the most important play in football. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ryan Day will not be quoted saying that. <laughs> Those Buckeye fans would defend that to the death 10 years ago. Now, yeah, they're <laughs> laughing. But they – what are you talking about? One team that is not uh, soaring with talent, Michigan State Spartans. 
Woo. Nobody drafted for the first time in 80 years. Uh, Tough times. (laughs) Beast Lansing has fallen apart. Uh, Michigan and Southern California have the longest streaks of 83 straight years of NFL drafts with the leech of player. They're also uh, Florida is the is the other school that's had someone drafted since uh, uh, 1967. The the merger Spartans had somebody every year since uh, 1940, uh, and they didn't. They also went over that 1938 team. Yeah, that that team sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Pour one out for Sparty. He had nothing to do this weekend. Uh, tell you the rebuilding job they got there. Mark D'Antonio really was just stealing the money at the end, wasn't he? I mean, how do yeah, you not that, get one guy I mean, at Michigan State? One kid from Ohio or Michigan or Chicago. Not one guy. Couldn't even find a punter. That has become painfully clear now. I mean, like this draft is the final indictment of that. Yeah, there were no bullets left. I just thought there was like an assembly line of those guys coming, <laughs> coming through like every year. Like there's, the there's none of those left. I, I will I will say this, and our, our faithful longtime listeners will probably like we saw this Mark Antonio Michigan State collapse coming a long time ago. Right. Like we we had been talking about it. We saw it lined up. We knew Mel Tucker was going to struggle this year. And and look like it's not magic why why these programs that have been successful dip. I mean, Texas just had this no draft thing when Charlie Strong was there a couple of years ago. And it's not the fault of the coach who inherits the bad roster. It's like now you have to be creative and work around it. So um, but yeah, God bless Michigan State fans like they had such a good run there with with D'Antonio and he did such a great job for a while and then he stopped and their recruiting stunk and the staff kind of fleed and it just kind of sputtered to them. Remember, he like stayed too long and they got rid of him in January. Like that just like yeah. that undercuts that years. That recruiting. Plus, remember when yeah. he re- so just- reassigned the staff instead of getting a new staff? He just made like the linebacker coach became the tight end yeah. coach and the tight oh, end yes. coach became the. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like everyone got a new job. Like It's <laughs> duck, like re- duck, reorganizing duck, a restaurant. Duck, duck. Yeah. And also the dishwasher is the sous chef. Like that's not how it works around here. <laughs> I can't imagine great talent and look at that plan in Michigan State and say, I think I'll go to Purdue. I think I'll go to more. Michigan coach Ryan Osborne mocked this this draft, uh, 80-year draft break. This is all Michigan and Michigan State have to argue about anymore. Uh, He tweeted out, hate to see it go blue because State uh, ended, uh, which many, many people responded a scoreboard since Michigan actually lost to a team with no draft picks. <laughs> Correct. God, it they is did. sad around here, man. It is sad. <laughs> <That's all laughs> <I can say. laughs> Ohio State's down there just swimming in everything. The yeah. Spartans and Wolverines are arguing over nothing. They're, who's little brother? And then and then eventually the Buckeyes show up, and, and it's like dad's home. Everyone shut up. <laughs> well, let's think about this with Michigan State. Like, I'd be stunned if someone gets drafted next year. Um, can either of you name a Michigan State Spartan? I think they all Oh, uh, who was the quarterback who came in? Uh, the, he was a freshman. Peyton Thorne. Peyton Thorne. He, uh-huh. he, like, you know, That's... he came in, ran around someone. Rocky Lombardi clearly couldn't do it. Oof, Rocky Lombardi. Oof. Oof. Yeah, you know. Oof. All right, let's move on to playoff talk. Great story by Ross Dellinger, Pat's colleague at SI.com. Encourage everyone to go read it college football playoff decision makers uh basically let's see it says inside 27 months of playoff expansion discussions and the arduous path ahead so this story uh ross talked to pretty much all the conference commissioners i think all of them 
Uh, Ten out of eleven. Ten out of eleven, including the Notre Dame. Maybe I can't say, but I know who it is. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, I didn't know Uh, if it was named or not. I haven't read it yet. I I will. I'm reading it now. Okay. Very good. That's good. Good. Good show prep. Uh, Good job there. (laughs) No, it basically says, man, what is it? Eight of the ten are either in favor a playoff or open to it. Nobody is opposed. Just two are kind of neutral. It's 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 again classic. Like. And I, I just got I, Bill Hancock is in here who runs the playoff. He is basically the entire story saying this isn't going to I'll get too far ahead of yourself. And then Ross is like, yeah, I talked to all the AD, all the commissioners. They're like, it's happening. <laughs> Why are they so opposed? I, this whole thing baffles me. First of all, they should have leaked that they were thinking about this like this week after the draft and basked right. in a week of everyone talking about college football. And so they try to hide these stories about that gets America talking about college football. Like, why would you do this? And then why would you continually say it's not happening or something close to it when someone's trying to hype up your sport? Like, Hey, this might happen when it's demonstrably untrue. It's probably going to happen. And we've discussed this on here before that. These are people who are so averse to change and so unwilling to be the one that steps out on the branch and says, yeah, we're heading that way. And then has to, you know, deal with the 18 text messages from the other commissioners and people behind the scenes saying, did you really say that? Are you saying they, that? Why would but you they, say that? They are saying that in this story, basically. Well, yeah, then most of them are unnamed that are saying that. Yeah, but like, why not leak this out this week and have all of like all of the ESPN programming, all the talk radio around the country, all the websites? We have nothing. We don't have an NFL draft, so we got nothing to talk about. Right. Spring and, practice except, is over. Right. Pretty and, much. And, and, and bask in a week of everyone arguing whether it should be eight teams or six teams or ten. Like it's like it's good. Yeah. You want people no. talking about your sport. You know, it's, yes. it's not like there's no negative here. And then come up with whatever number you want. But instead it's like, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, or I'll get too far ahead. Anyway, it's happening according to this story. Um, and it's really just a question of of what. The two things that seemed interesting to me is they talk about eight to twelve. 12 possibly needed to have more than two uh, at-large bids to really open it up. Now, the problem is you now add an extra extra weekend to the thing. How do you fit that in? Um, but 12 is not out there. I think they're throwing 16 and 12 out so that people don't get scared when it comes to eight. It's kind of just a basic marketing trick. Sure. Uh, the other things I saw in here, everyone is on board with the first round on a home site, which I'm, I'm needless to say I've been pushing for freaking forever yeah gonna be fantastic if that happens it also as i forever was arguing it improves the importance of the regular season because you want to host a game and the other was almost everyone is in favor of a group of five automatic spot so i thought those three developments were really interesting and i'm in favor of all of them again automatic bids and all this stuff uh so that's what i took from it pat you have read it i'll let pete keep reading um (laughs) What's your takeaway from this very well-reported story? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was uh, it, it it got a little bit inside the the room as far as what the mindset is, and the mindset is clearly that this is more likely, I would say, than unlikely that we end up with six, eight, and as you said, eight to twelve might be the sweet spot in there. And I think all the changes that that are discussed here, as you noted, would be potentially really good ones and. 
The big drawback, as is mentioned, is, you know, the fitting it in the, the schedule as far as the weeks and everything. Look, <laughs> that argument died last fall. You know, like with finals, we can't be intruding on finals. Oh, yes, you could. When you made teams play meaningless, worthless games on like December 12th and 19th uh, in the middle of finals or at the end of finals so you could fulfill TV contracts. So I don't want to hear that anymore. Uh, pushing to week zero, having everybody play week zero, basically making the season start a week earlier as opposed to just having one or two games in that first weekend, last weekend of August is another possibility. So that's the thing they've got to do is, is basically figure out the calendar as it relates to the NFL playoffs and then pretend you care about academics as far as finals and just make it work. But I think those things are going to happen. Um, I would not be surprised if we end up with eight or 12. Either one I think would be fantastic. And I think, yeah, campus games is going to happen. Uh, and we're getting there. Now, why... Why? I just think, Dan, I just don't think these people think that way. There is so little, first of all, there's so little cohesion between the conferences. So it's not like, I don't, I don't think they are even capable really of getting together and hatching a plan of like, hey, how should we publicize some potential changes to the playoff? Because they don't talk to each other about those things and the people in charge don't think that way. So that's why this stuff all of a sudden comes dribbling out on a Friday uh, leading up to the NFL draft like it did, what was now, a week and a half ago. And then le- instead of embracing it and letting it run wild because it's a positive, it's all stomp on it. Yeah. Like, someone hire me to market this sport, please. Like, my- <laughs> I-, I mean, this stuff's just easy. It's just like, what are you doing? Why? Yeah. why- I mean, the- the- it's a funny story. It's a funny story because it's like, here are all the insiders saying, we're working hard at this. And then here's the official spokesman saying, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the official spokesman who did put it in the release to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah. And then was worried on the Friday. Uh, I don't know. Um, go ahead, Pete. You have to remember, this is the same group that when they first wanted to propose a playoff, I remember, God rest his soul, Mike Slive and I laughing about this. They wouldn't call it a playoff. They called it a plus one. Yeah. Because the, like the, the pearl clutching over the world playoff, they thought would like alienate the presidents. So they were just going to trick them and just call it a plus one. <laughs> And it just like it was just like that that nonsensible thinking has permeated all the way through now, almost two decades later. And that's still where we are yeah. now. It's they, there's still playoff fear. There's just, just there I is. Think, there's no there, there's there's no other way to say it. Like like some president's going to pick up The New York Times and see that the playoff may expand and shutter the whole thing. But it is this speaks to an interesting tension of of where we are, like with Mark Emmert and his contract extension. Well, first of all, everyone afraid to say it's a good thing. It's this the same. This is the same group of people who are afraid to te- say out loud that Mark Emmert's doing a terrible job, even though all of the commissioners think Mark Emmert is doing a terrible job. Um, and yet, the board of governors, who actually are presidents who run the thing, gave him a uh, gave him a contract extension the other day, and people were aghast. But no one, no one's going to say anything out loud about it. And so there is just, and maybe it's some of our faults too, because we we allow people the veil of anonymity. And this isn't like what Ross did. I I do this quite often too. I'm sure Pat done it dan's done it but it it is interesting that like there's there's no earnest and honest conversation it's all whispers in back rooms until it and then it deflect 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 um that's just the way that's the way the college football postseason has always operated which is one way to say it's always operated kind of backwards <laughs> I, I i like to refer to that as delaney think because I, that's just his you know the the one guy who's like no this the, the, this is not happening this is not happening this is not happening and there's that that continual resistance 
to an actual discussion or of, of expansion of a playoff. I mean, just, you know, you just give up ground inch by inch and you never confront it or take it on other than behind closed doors. Well, I'll be curious to see as we evolve here whether the Bulls are included in this or not. Because right. I would imagine, and certainly Dan's written a book about this, right? So I, I can't claim to be can't claim to be the expert, but you know the the line I always remembered from Dan's reporting on this and his book on this was like the NFL wouldn't outsource the wild cards to like a random stadium in Indianapolis or in Dallas, right? So why are you outsourcing your most valuable product? So putting campus sites is a really good way to start nudging the bulls out. Now, look, there's a place for bulls. Like we should have all the dot-com, random, Bitcoin, Micron, PC, weed eater, galleryfurniture.com. I want them all. Bring them all in. Bring them in with the undrafted punters and centers, all right? Like they just don't have to be part of the playoff because they're probably getting in the way of how you make money. So don't let, like here's here should be the goals of all these commissioners when they sit around hey, let's not let the Rose Bowl continue to screw this up like it has the last 50 years, all right? If these commissioners let the Rose Bowl screw up the future of the playoff, they should all be fired, all right? It is inexcusable to let the Rose Bowl, a sunset, and a parade still dictate the future of a billion-dollar sport. They should all be shuttered, gone, if they still allow the Rose Bowl in its time slot to dictate the future of the sport. It just shows they're completely incompetent at their jobs if they don't make the Rose Bowl adjust to them as opposed to them adjusting to the Rose Bowl, which they've done so many times. And it's just it's just the most preposterous thing. They need to grow up. They need to evolve. They need to move on. It does mention that this could get done in two years. There was no and, and that would include the keeping the bowls as a semifinal site, presumably, or they could wait longer and just play this out. It's really going to be a question of what's the what's the greater value. Do the Bulls and ESPN want to just pay right now and lock themselves in, maybe give more advantageous deals or whatever, or do you want to risk that? So I think that's some of the play involved here. But um, after nine years, which would be the 2022 season, all six Bulls will have made three rotations through. So there is a kind of a break point there for years 10, 11, and 12 of the contract that they may want to uh they may want to switch. So that that could be interesting. That probably is the the most interesting part is that this could be done in like we could have two more years of the 14 playoff and that's it. So I think uh here's the quote from one commissioner. I don't think ESPN or the Bulls would mind basically restructuring mid-contract. They'd be licking their chops. It's an opportunity for them to secure their position. So uh, again, this could happen pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Yeah. All right, PJ Fleck is coming up with with Pete. Good interview. Uh, but first, I, I mean, some stories just have to get get squeezed in here, uh, even if this pod goes a little long. Uh, you know, it, 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 talk about a bad day. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you think you're having a bad day? You might be. But uh, imagine this one. Authorities, authorities say, uh, according to the AP, Say a man was rescued after a tree that fell during high winds trapped him inside a portable toilet <laughs> at the Gettysburg National Military Park. <laughs> at Gettysburg, his own personal Gettysburg. <laughs> a tree trapped a man inside a portable toilet at the Barlow Volunteer Fire Department. 
uh, said it had to send a crew. They found the tree atop a vehicle, but no one inside. And park rangers then told them the tree trapped a man inside the portable toilet. Said they treated it like a car entrapment, cutting away the tree with a chainsaw, then cutting the portable <laughs> toilet open with another saw. He was very lucky, said Robinson. It was a large tree, just missed striking him. So definitely did not get injured. But <laughs> <laughs> like absolute life rule is to spend as little time as possible in portable toilets in any circumstance, in any place to be trapped in one. And hopefully it didn't tip over that. That doesn't say, I don't know whether that says whether it was like knocked over and perhaps any of the, uh, like the, the, the sewage was on the loose of any kind or not, but just as a rule, I, I do not like portable <laughs> toilets. Nobody should. The only good thing that I can think of that's ever <laughs> happened in a portable toilet is when Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, got his offer from Cincinnati, he was in a portable toilet at the Kentucky Oaks because he was from Louisville. That's a whole other story. It all goes back but, to he was well, in Tommy the Tuberville toilet called when they him. called? <laughs> Tommy Tuberville called him. He's at the Oaks in the infield having a good time. It's like, I, I can't hear. He has to go in the portable toilet to take the call. So, it's true. Was he all around it? <laughs> He's all around it. He was. But no, yeah, I mean, oh, that's that is not good. Don't be trapped in a portable toilet. It, it, many worse things have happened at Gettysburg than what happened to him, but that's not good. So I here's my thought. Like, if this happened to one of us, most portable toilets, the toilet seat doesn't have a cover, right? It's just like the seat's <laughs> right. down. Yeah. So say you're you're right side up and you're in there for a while. Do you sit on the do you sit on the bowl or do no. you stay standing up? I would think you gotta stay standing up. Right. Yeah. You stay as far away from any of the stuff that's down there as you can. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I mean, I'm seeing pictures after the it. I mean, cut away. But like this thing was annihilated. There was splash. Really? There was splash. Oh, boy. There's no <laughs> way there wasn't splash. <laughs> if our listeners could just see the look of sheer mischievous delight on Dan's face. <laughs> he said there was well, splash. I'm reading this. Apparently, there is a Twitter feed called Civil War Humor. Oh, no. <laughs> At Civil War Humor. <laughs> I mean, I, who knew? I'm going to read some more because I'm going to check this thing out. But let me just read this one. Apparently, you can have a worse day at Gettysburg than Pickett did. <laughs> oh my. Uh, all I know is Civil War humor. All I know is if I'm one of the Gettysburg firefighters rescuing this guy from the port of potty I'm definitely yelling bayonets when we bring out the Sawzall. <laughs> what? Civil War humor. Civil War humor. Oh, my God. I had no idea. These are all like American history majors chortling over their little Civil War jokes, you know? Unbelievable stuff. Wow, there's a whole bunch here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of posts. I don't... I'm not. I'm not just going to read blindly. Read these. I'm not sure these are. I don't need to get fired. <laughs> yeah, try not to. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, Civil War humor. Uh, I, I just, I would take a shower for like a week after oh, that. Ugh. Like, I mean, yeah. just, I, yeah, so not, yeah, other people's, yeah, no, no. I'd almost okay. rather do the Stevo where they stuck him in like the Porter John and and launched him in a in a on a bungee cord. Uh, <laughs> And one of the jackass movies, because that's that's over in a couple of minutes like this. You're stuck. <laughs> in, like he's stuck in there for a while. Like, ooh, that's mm, 
could not imagine. And not only that, you're stuck in there. You don't know whether you can get out or what it's going to take to get you out. If this, you know, oh. let's get to uh, Coach Fleck. I mean, no better way to lead a guy in than that. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Fleck wrote a boat. book with John Gordon. That's why we're uh, that's why we're having him on. So right. he also had his uh, 400 round offensive lineman throw a touchdown in the spring game. So we need more of that. Love it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. One one spring game note. I don't know if you saw the Kansas spring game. <laughs> if you did, God help you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a chance for Kansas to win a game. Not um, high on my viewing list, though, I have to say. Yeah, if you were watching the Kansas spring game, uh, <laughs> at the end, they give a trophy out to uh, uh, the white team got it. I don't know what they are. Uh, but this trophy. They were loaded this year. Yeah, this blue team was not happy. Poor Nobody guy. was ever has ever loaded at the Kansas spring game. <laughs> <laughs> ever. The only team that can't beat Kansas is Kansas. Anyway, <laughs> their spring game trophy in this picture is like Marlia Campbell, uh, who's a, a reporter out there. It's like 15 feet tall. You see this trophy? You guys looking at the 15 picture? 15 feet tall. <laughs> no. No. Hang on. <laughs> a giant trophy. Wait a minute. Kansas has a really big trophy it's, for spring game. It's like roughly 12 feet tall. It is believed to be a 12-foot tall trophy <laughs> um, <laughs> that they give out to the winner, and it's got a whole Oh, my God. It's like a pole vault. Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest trophy I've ever seen in my life. Except, I don't know. <laughs> Who gets that Paul Bunyan? Is that Michigan to Michigan State? Things like 800 pounds or something? Uh, this yeah. is just tall. It looks like it could get knocked over in a stiff wind, which there's plenty of in Kansas. Uh, but what? Look at that. Where do you put it? Where do they store it? The Kansas it's trophy huge. case isn't exactly full. So they got No, that's there. true. But like what what closet is tall enough for like a 12 foot high trophy? I don't know. But congratulations to uh, blue uh, white team for winning this massive trophy. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, they, uh, the jokes basically write themselves for Kansas football spring game trophy. I mean, holy moly. I didn't even know they gave out trophies for spring games. Anyway. All right. Let's go to uh, Jacob Stewart. Jacob Stewart, a uh, podcast listener, sent me that. So, uh, and, and thank you for that. Uh, all right, let's get to Fleck. PJ is the co-author of a new book, Row the Boat, a true story with principles and lessons to transform your culture. And uh, that makes him the one published author on this podcast right now. Uh, PJ, tell us a little story about how you uh, how you came to write a book. Well, we're going right into that, huh? Going right into it. Yeah. I like it. Let's start. Pete, thanks for having us on the show. Um, yeah, I mean, it happened during quarantine uh, back uh, last April. Uh, John Gordon and I were kind of on the phone. I've known him for a long time. I uh, love the type of books he writes. They're short, simple, and to the point. Got talking and thought about possibly writing a book during what we were doing. I mean, it didn't take that long to write. A few mornings of, of my time to kind of get nuts and bolts of all of it. So it's not the reason why we went three and four. So everybody understands that. Like I spent working <laughs> being a coach. Uh, it didn't take that long, but we wanted to be able to do something that benefited Masonic Children's Hospital here at the University of Minnesota, uh, where Row the Boat really benefits. And uh, writing and telling the story about Row the Boat and how people can use Row the Boat in their lives uh, to be able to spread hope, love, positivity, 
uh, culture and togetherness. And I think it was a perfect fit for uh, what we were going through at our country during our country's times. And this isn't to save that or anything. It's just, uh, it was a perfect time to be able to write one. And I know a lot of coaches write them after winning national titles and doing things. This isn't about just winning and losing games. Uh, it's more of, of, of a lifestyle and a never give up type attitude and be able to create some type of positivity. And like we said, love and hope and togetherness uh, and some culture along the way. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I never knew what it was like to, to, to write a book before. There's a lot of things that go involved in that. And uh, I've said this before. I mean, I got an 18 on my ACT and I think I got a 15 in the reading and writing part. So that's why you team up with John Gordon. Uh, he's one of my favorite authors and uh, a wonderful human being. How'd you meet John Gordon, PJ? He's a guy a lot of coaches have really connected to over the years. I wonder if you can give us a little insight into what attracted you to John and then just how, how did that relationship start? Yeah, first of all, just John's books in general. Uh, I, I've read them my entire coaching career, my playing career. I mean, he's, um, he's, he's, he's one of the best in terms of short, simple, positive to the point. There's always a story behind it and you can fit it into your life somehow, some way. I got a chance to meet him uh, a few times being on some of his podcasts that he has. And then we started talking here and there through here and there through texts, talked through the, you know, through phone at times, and then just became somewhat pretty close and just kind of were on the phone one day and decided to kind of bring it up. Would you ever be interested in writing a book? And I said the same thing to him. And it just, you know, we gave, we, we both gave it some time to think about because, you know, you don't want to be, you know, I'm not sitting there saying, Hey, how do you go three and four? You know, this is how you do that. <laughs> it, it's not about that. This is more one it's for the children in, in, in Masonic children's hospital. And during our pandemic uh, to, to know that those, those children only have one parent at the time at, per, per time inside the, in their room, can't leave, can't have visitors, uh, and we're going to do everything we have. Our, our mission here has been to raise as much money as we possibly can for the Children's Hospital, and this is no different. So when you were at uh, Western Michigan, obviously you had a great relationship with the with the hospital uh, in Kalamazoo, and you've obviously, you and Heather have forged one with the Masonic Children's Hospital there. A lot of people, one of the big misnomers about Row the Boat is that it's sort of tied to you, but it's really tied to the community, which, which I think is one of the things that, that maybe has gotten lost a little bit over the years. I wonder if you can just go, go inside a little bit into how the Row the Boat culture that you obviously have had and made famous at Western Michigan and now at Minnesota really ties your program to the community. Yeah, I think that when you become a head football coach, um, you know, obviously you, you kind of dive into a community and for me, I've always wanted it to be bigger than football, period. I want it to be bigger than the wins and the losses and the story of the fields and the narrow margins to victory and, and things like that. I, I wanted it to be bigger than that. I always have. You know, you have a short time to be a head football coach in your life. We, I look at it that way because you're never promised tomorrow. So you've got to do everything you can to be able to, you know, bring a community closer together. And I think as a public figure, that's uh, especially from a state university, that's, that's part of our job. But I love that part. You know, my whole goal at Western Michigan and my whole goal at the University of Minnesota was to get people who even hate football to love how we run our program and how we run our culture. Not going to make everybody happy. Uh, you might not do it how everybody likes it, but you want the people who maybe weren't even fans of Minnesota before to really like how you run your program and, uh, and, and the positivity and the culture uh, that we have with this. And uh, I think that's been our mission as, as a head coach and as a program since we started back at Western Michigan. So. This weekend, you had two former Gopher players get uh, drafted to the NFL. Obviously, Rashad Bateman went in the first round to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, one of your corners, Benjamin St. Juice, I believe, went in the in the third round. 
you've obviously had a lot of players drafted over the years. You know, Corey Davis, uh, most notably from when you were at Western, I believe was the third pick in the draft uh, a few years back. Just what's that feeling like, PJ, when you can guide a young man through your program and then see him go off and fulfill his dreams on draft day? Yeah, I mean, you make promises to all these players, right? I mean, when you recruit them and you say, hey, listen, the definition of a coach, right? A stage coach, right? It's taking someone from where they are to where they want to go. And as a coach, that's the same thing. We want to be able to take these young men from where they are to where they've always dreamed to be, whether that's a first pick in the NFL draft, first rounder, second rounder, free agent, uh, going to the NFL, not going to the NFL, going to be a doctor, a lawyer. I mean, our starting left guard just got a 518 on the MCAT. He's in the 96th percentile, came back for a six year just to be in the culture again. So whatever their dreams and hopes and aspirations are, we want to be able to fulfill that as a university as a community, and definitely as a football coach. And those are the most enjoyable times when you see that person get to where they dreamed of being. On the field, off the field, teachers, lawyers, doctors, social worker, NFL player, those are the most fulfilling parts of our job. And they really are. I, I can't tell you a lot of the scores of games we've won in uh, that you could remember the next day and then forget. Uh, but you can remember those lives that you keep touching. And our program continues to do that. And uh, in our university does the same. Let's uh, let's peek ahead to the season, PJ, and I, I think the next critical period for coaches coming up is June. You obviously haven't had anyone formally visit your campus in terms of recruits for 14, 15 months now, I would think. June almost feels like, like the Oklahoma land rush, like all these recruits are waiting on the outside and then they're going to start flowing into these programs. How, how are you a- approaching this sort of most unique uh, cycle of recruiting as things start to open back up in the country? Well, everybody's really excited to get out. I, I think it's like a big expansion West, right? I mean, it's exactly what you said. Everybody just can't wait to go. But this year is a little bit different. I, I think for most teams in the country, the amount of limited scholarships people are going to have, you know, with being over the 85 for one year, then you got to be back down to the 85 and how many older players you have, how many people transfer, how many people transfer in. Uh, the transfer portals changed a lot. And I think people have this negative uh, narrative at times at the transfer portal. It's, it, it's there for the student athlete to be able to uh, make an experience better, go play somewhere else, have a better fit. That's okay. Uh, if it benefits the student athlete, I think sometimes we just think of it as a negative narrative, but I, I, I think that when you look at this year, how different it's going to be, it's based on the individual university. We, we might not have that many scholarships left. Some might have a lot. So not only are you getting out and evaluating now, but you're also evaluating guys for the next recruiting class as well. Uh, and I think that's what you're going to be able to see. You're going to be able to see people evaluating not only for the, the 22 class, but the 23 class as you go forward. Uh, but it's exciting. I know that. It, I'm not comparing this to war whatsoever, but it's kind of like a deployment. I mean, we're going to leave for three weeks and we might, we might not come home. I think everybody's just really excited to get out on the road and get back to one of those enjoyments of the job is that recruiting and going out and, and visiting different places and holding camps and doing the alive evaluations, which we haven't had in a long time. So this 2022 recruiting class in general is going to be one of the most unique because the transfer portal has been in effect, but now one-time transfer has has become uh, become formally passed. It was sort of informally passed for, for two or three years. F- philosophically, PJ, how do you, and you have obviously three high-impact transfers on defense. They all start in your spring game this weekend. Philosophically going forward, how do you balance scholarship allotment to recruits for scholarship allotment to players in the portal right now? I mean, is it, are we about to undergo a wholesale change in how programs operate? Well, there's no doubt about it. Now, I think people are going to still be able to 
they're, they're going to go on their philosophical beliefs. You know, I, I think it's for us, it's not going to change us a lot, but it will change us a little bit. You know, I'm, I, we proved that this year. I even said in recruiting people, people, people can ask how many guys you're going to take, how many guys you're going to take. Well, we're probably going to take, you know, 16, 17, 18 high school kids. And then we're going to leave it open for five or six transfers. Uh, and I see that staying true for us. Uh, around those numbers each year. If you have a class of 24, 25, if it's on a lower end, you might see that a little bit different. Um, and when you have a little bit less scholarships, but you might see people do a wholesale change where they strictly just go to the portal system, which we've seen a little bit with some other, some teams already that have made that public. You might see teams that might not believe in that at all. Uh, I, 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 we don't know how it's going to affect your team. Sometimes you might lose five, six kids. Sometimes you might lose 20 kids in a year. You, you don't know what it's going to look like. We just hope that we have the ability initial scholarship wise to be able to replace those numbers. Because right now the initial scholarship part is what the issue is of the initial of 25. That's the one thing I think that has to be addressed as we continue to go through these new rules changes. As long as things like that change, where if a kid left, you can replace that. And if you don't do that, we're going to see this, this, this major lack of numbers um, in some programs that uh, it's not going to be a very level playing field at some point. So, uh, but that's, that's for people that are way above my pay grade to make those decisions on. But those are interesting things to talk about how the initial scholarship uh, of that 25 cap is going to work based on, you know, kids transferring out of your program uh, that have the ability to do that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I did an article on this in December, and I'm going to plan to do another one in, in, in the next few weeks. And, and I really, this actually, I'm going to go on a little, I've got my soapbox here, PJ, for 30 seconds. We saw this in college basketball about 13, 14 years ago uh, because they didn't want people running guys off. And what happened was, all of a sudden, there was no there, people didn't have scholarships left, and there was nowhere to transfer to because of the initial counter rule, and there were like limitations. And then they blew it out because it kids weren't getting the opportunities because there were just empty scholarships that couldn't be used because of the counter rule. And so, of course, with the NCA, and here's the soapbox part, they will not change the rule until people are adversely affected. Even though it's very clear there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of players who are adversely effective. How have you seen this happen in real time? Because there's a thousand players in the portal right now, something like that. And you probably don't have many or any scholarships like most, correct? Like that because of your 25 counter. I was just curious how you see that collision happening. And I'm wincing because I really feel like there's going to be a lot of lost opportunity for young men. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things when you open up something new uh, and it becomes really popular, uh, you start to look at all the advantages, but then there's going to be some things that, that trickle downhill that might not be so good. And I think that's, that's one of them is, uh, you know, you're going to think everybody who enters the transfer portal is going to have a spot somewhere else. Uh, and I don't think that's going to be the case uh, to your point with the thousands of students that are in there, student athletes, and everybody thinks they're going to be somewhere, but like anything, I think what it's going to be able to do is it's going to be able to give student athletes an opportunity uh, to do what, what they feels best for them. And they get to make that choice. And then from that point forward, I think there's still a lot of data to be seen of how this thing reacts down the road, but that would be one of the concerns for sure. 
Uh, let's shift to the to the Gophers on the field now. You obviously started setting trends in your spring game on Saturday, having two offensive linemen uh, score touchdowns, and uh, big uh, Daniel Falalele threw a touchdown pass. So I'm sure that you know 390 pound quarterbacks may be uh, maybe the new trend. Give us a glimpse, PJ. You obviously have Tanner Morgan back. He's been a linchpin of your your whole program. Um, you know, really since you since you arrived there, I believe you recruited him to Western, and, and then he came uh, he came with you. You had two key opt outs on your offensive line last. Year that are uh, that, that are back. Daniel being one of them. Just uh, on that offensive side of the ball, what do you, Chris Hotman Bell is, becomes your new bell count receiver, and obviously uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, who who missed the spring game because uh, he was observing Ramadan, is the best tailback in the Big Ten coming into the year. Just give us a little glimpse of what you think the identity of this offense in can be and its potential. Well, I, I think it can be whatever we want it to be. Uh, I think we have a lot of experience back, a lot of guys who have played football and and have a lot of experience. But I'd say even more of this is what this team has been through. Not only having you know the COVID nineteen pandemic, but the social justice and social injustice here. Movement started right here in, in the Twin City area. And and watching our players be able to deal with that, not only deal with that, but come together and come closer together uh, in a world that it does everything it can to divide us at times, uh, to be able to bring us so close. Our locker room is, is what the world should look like. And I say that uh, with a very heavy heart and with a lot of passion. You know, this, this is a very close team. And our whole model this year is TGIF and under one roof and get everybody together, rowing the boat in the same direction, same speed, same efficiency, knowing that we're all different, but rowing towards that same direction uh, that we all want to go. And that's obviously to win a lot of games, win a championship, influence our community, and then be grateful that we have the opportunity to do it together and create this identity of love and togetherness and hope and doing it for each other and focus on those things. And I think whether it's offensively, defensively, or special teams, um, this team can be whatever what, what it wants to be. And we've showed that in spring. Uh, there's so many guys here that just love to be here, love being around each other uh, and have been through a lot. And, uh, and to have everybody back together uh, from a year that, you know, one game you're missing 33 players. Uh, and think about that, 33 players, you're starting so many freshmen. You find a way to win that game on the road, have that experience built within your program. And not only just with guys missing games, but also guys playing in games that maybe probably played earlier than they should have. So I think that all comes together for this experience. Uh, we're an experienced football team. We have a lot of people to be able to spread the ball out to, which is going to be a positive. As long as we keep thinking it and looking at it through very selfless, uh, 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 a very selfless lens. And I think this player, these players have done that. So d- defensively, PJ, you add the three transfers. It was a unit that obviously struggled to start the year, but really did show significant improvement by the, uh, by the end. H- how is that balance between young players who had to grow up fast and obviously the, the transfers, how have they blended together on that side of the ball? Well, I, I think it, it kind of stems from what I said earlier is about this TGIF and the selfless type mindset. And they all have been. We talked about our depth is our advantage. And I think today in today's world, if you have depth and it's competition, then somebody, two or three people end up leaving. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for us, this team's very selfless. They understand that our depth is our strength and we need everybody on this football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, with their experience, with their talent, with their skill set, we need everybody. And be able to have fresh bodies in there all the time gives us the best chance to be successful. And I feel like they see that. That's going to be hopefully one of our big advantages in, in 2020. Well, we'll uh, leave you with this question, PJ. The Thursday night, 
of opening weekend of the college football season. You are hosting The Ohio State University. You are a former The Ohio State University graduate assistant, if I uh, if I recall correctly from uh, the, the deep recesses of your bio. Uh, that, I imagine, will be a giant event in the Twin Cities, a giant event in college football. That's something that, that's a game people are gonna have circle on their calendar for the start of the year. I'm wondering if you can give me a sense of the excitement pushing forward with all the talent you have coming back to have a marquee game like that to open your season? Well, first of all, I mean, you look at what we're doing, things for like the first time or restorations, things that haven't, in a, happened, ha- haven't happened in a long time. We just had the most amount of draft picks in a two-year back-to-back since 19, the 1970s uh, and 1960s. So we're talking about three possible sellouts in a row here at TCF Bank Stadium. And I think that's really big for our community to know. I hope that, you know, safely we can do that through the CDC and Minnesota Health Department. I hope we're at that time uh, in our in you know in our society that we're able to do that. And if we're able to do that, it'll be our third straight sellout. We'll be excited to host uh, the university or the Ohio State University <laughs> here at TCF Bank Stadium. They're a wonderful football team. I'm, I'm sure we're going to be big underdogs, but we're going to focus on just getting better every day. Keep changing our best. Have a great summer. Have an elite training camp and go out there and, and put the best product on the field we possibly can. Hopefully, in front of the third straight sellout. The book is Row the Boat. A True Story with Principles and Lessons to Transform Your Culture by John Gordon and P.J. Fleck. Please check it out if you can. And P.J., thanks for taking a few minutes this morning to join us here on the uh, Yahoo Sports College podcast. You bet. means a lot, Pete. Thanks for everything, man. Row the boat, Sky. Mago Gophers. Great stuff there. Uh, Keep uh, telling your friends about this. Share us on social media. Subscribe. We're just getting to the fun part. The deep in the offseason. Keep listening. Thanks, guys.